0: Hi, welcome to Free Failing. If you have listened before, welcome back. If you're new here, this is the place where we talk about struggles that we think affect only us. And the reality is most people share the same insecurities and are susceptible to the negative self-shatter chatter is ever present in all of our brains. This is episode six. The series is more than halfway over. I've really had a, just the best time doing this. A lot of it has been hard. I wish I could go back and word some things differently or edit things out entirely, but I can't. And that's kind of the point. Creativity and learning is often uncomfortable and I'm very uncomfortable. (laughs) Very uncomfortable. Pro tip, if you ever decide to start a podcast, consider recording all of your content first before you put your podcast out. I thought I did a lot of research. There are podcasts about how to start a podcast, which I listened to, and I somehow missed that critical nugget of information. Anyway, we're doing it. We're here. We're uncomfortable. We're failing. It's fine. Today, I am going to talk to you all about something that I thought I had for most of my life. It's a theory that has been studied since before I was born and is the premise behind growth mindset, and frankly, most therapy that I have experienced. Get ready for some introspection, because this is the self-awareness episode. Let's start out by defining self-awareness as best we can. In social psychology, the study of self-awareness is traced to Shelley Duvall and Robert Wicklund's 1972 landmark theory of self-awareness. Duvall and Wicklund propose that at any given moment, people can focus attention on the self or on the external environment. Focusing on the self enables self-evaluation. When self-focused, People compare the self with standards of correctness that specify how the self ought to think, feel, behave. The process of comparing the self with standards allows people to change their behavior and to experience pride and dissatisfaction with the self. Self awareness is thus a major mechanism of self control. According to this theory, there are two primary outcomes of comparing ourselves against our standards of correctness. We either pass and find alignment between ourselves and our standards, or we fail and find a discrepancy between ourselves and our standards. Here's the part that I find especially fascinating. When we find a discrepancy between the two, we have two choices. Work toward reducing the discrepancy or avoid it entirely. Sounds so obvious. I can only speak for myself, but I think I spent a lot of my own life avoiding it entirely. In my own life, self-awareness theory has shown up in almost every way possible. The first and most evident way is that I can reflect back on some experiences and recognize abhorrent behavior. I'll give you one example from a time in my life where I really struggled, and that was most of my 20s. But in this particular case, I'm 21. I'm kind of holding together a very fluctuating junior college career. I'm waiting tables. I'm partying a lot. I will let you infer which of those took priority. And I'm on my cell phone at the Campus Was Outdoors. I'm talking to my girlfriend. I'm telling her, recapping this weekend that I just got back from, which involved my very first trip to Vegas, a fish concert mushroom chocolates, and a lot of shenanigans at Circus Circus. I'm already gregarious and loud, but I think back then I did not have the filter or like the audio control of myself to understand in what setting that was appropriate. And even now that still gets away from me. But back then just checked out all the time. No idea. And so I'm on this phone, I'm in between classes, and I'm telling my girlfriend this story. And a professor walks out and approaches me and says, and she's annoyed, excuse me, do you think that you could maybe keep it down or move to another area? My classroom door is open and we can hear your entire conversation. And 100% serious and very annoyed, I respond and say, Well, can't you just close your door? Didn't even occur to me that that would not have been an appropriate response. If something like that happened to me today, I would be, well, for, I wouldn't be in the situation at all, but just wildly mortified, so apologetic. I, I, it's, anyway, I told you, abhorrent behavior. So going back to, having not even a shed of what would have been warranted embarrassment. The irony here is that I wish I could tell this mystery teacher, don't worry, I've had decades to wallow in that shameful moment, usually in the middle of the night. Honestly, this happened a lot of other times, just in conjunction with treating myself badly or treating other people badly or behaving in a way that would hurt people that I really cared about. But just having that very selfish, like I come first narrative. And I think if we're going back to the theory, my standard of correctness, if we could even call it that, was very shallow, right? I didn't really have one. My standards were just very skewed. That's probably the right word. Over time, as I got further and further away from those events and did more and more therapy and healing and learning, I felt more and more shame about those events and many others that I have not mentioned here. And the reason for that is because my standard of correctness became more and more elevated. I'm sure we've all had interactions that we'd like to forget or do over. I have hundreds. (laughs) What strikes me about the examples that I think about in my head is that they really highlight how painfully unaware I was of myself, or I'd even go as far to say they highlight how dissociated I was and that that self affected others around me in an adverse way, usually. The thing is, though, if you would have asked me at any point in that time frame of my life, do you think you're self-aware? Of course, I would have said yes. And I I wasn't. (laughs) I wasn't. And I think if you would ask most people, not even in that age group, but in many age groups, do you think you're self-aware? People would say yes. Um, Interestingly, the data suggests that only about 10 to 15% of people are truly self-aware. For the record, I do not consider myself in that percentage. I would like to get into that percentage. I feel like I'm working and making great strides towards being in that percentage. I can recognize that I've made a lot of progress and that I still have a lot of work to do. I spent a lot of years in therapy processing years of treating myself and others terribly. And while I can't change any of it, I'm grateful that I can recognize just how shitty my behavior was part of self-awareness stems from embracing every aspect of yourself, even the worst parts of yourself. And I think that is really important. I'll say it again. Part of self-awareness stems from embracing every aspect of yourself, even the worst parts of yourself, unconditionally and without exception. This includes physical and mental attributes. Self-acceptance means that you aren't constantly trying to push down and change the undesirable parts of yourself. Instead, you learn to accept and even love those parts. It sounds counterintuitive, but what then happens is you begin to forgive yourself and see yourself objectively. Because of this shift in perspective, exactly what you wanted to happen happens. You're better equipped to then change your behavior and respond to triggers differently. It's wild. It does happen, though. I asked my friends to give me their definition of self awareness, and I'm going to read you a few right now. Self awareness is a verb and not a noun. It is a constant reflection and undoing and unraveling, appealing back of our layers, desires, motivations, wants, and needs. It's looking at our best present and future self and aligning with our internal standard for ourselves. I love that. Here's a really good one. Self-awareness is being familiar with our shadows and accepting that they follow us around. Love that. Love that. I think what happens is you, as you start to become self aware, is that you can identify problematic patterns in your behavior or patterns in the way that you communicate that maybe aren't conducive to healthy relationships. That's how it was for me. Now, typically, this is done in retrospect. And in my case, it usually comes with a very cringe moment that you get to play on loop. But As I've kept working and digging deeper and trying to answer the age-old question, why am I like this? I noticed that these retrospective insights would come to me sooner and sooner. So previous versions of me took years to see the flaws in my default responses or behavior. I in my thirties could look back at behavior in my twenties and start to realize, Oh wow, that was a really shitty thing you said to that professor who was just trying to teach a class or, you know, a lot of other things that I'm not willing to say here. Um, But the insight comes faster. So it'll start at least with me looking back on previous years and then months and then weeks and, Now I can say yesterday, I threw a whole toddler tantrum due to a brief overload of stress, and I recognized it as absurd behavior mere hours later, right? The point is, closing these gaps is what eventually leads us to objectively see ourselves and our choices in real time. So pretty soon, After enough practice, reflection, you can be confident in knowing that you held the right boundaries, made the right choice, communicated in the right way, or showed up for yourself or someone else in the best way that you knew how. I'm reminded of this quote that I love by Viktor Frankl Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. It's so powerful. So if you've ever gotten a triggering text or email and you immediately hit reply and you start just wailing away on a response, like I do all of the time, you probably are not that familiar with the space between stimulus and response. That's okay it's hard. As I get more in tune with my self-awareness though, I can feel the urge to hit the reply button, but I can also fast forward the tape a little bit and think, how is this response going to land, especially if it is text or email? Because we all know that typed out words are wrought for misinterpretation. And I can think, should I maybe wait not saying I always do. I definitely do not. But sometimes I do. And then a lot of times what happens is I figure out hours later, it doesn't even warrant a response. I don't need to respond. I don't need to be heard on every subject all of the time, it turns out. That is self-awareness to some degree. So why is self-awareness a key component to growing? Have you ever been in a group situation and witnessed someone talking who absolutely is not reading their audience at all? As the observer, you may even see the audience growing more and more uncomfortable. Like maybe you're at a dinner or like a business lunch or something and one person is just monopolizing the entire conversation and... It just starts to become apparent that no one else is going to get a word in edgewise. But the speaker is completely oblivious, right? I've been the speaker in that example many times, by the way. Now, think about that person's point of view or maybe where they're coming from. It's unlikely that one could grow from that space because growth requires It's some amount of awareness because you need to know or you need to be in tune with the way your behavior is affecting others. So if you can't read the room, identify energy, just look at people and pick up on visual cues that it might be time for you to wrap it up. How can you identify what your standard of correctness is? So put another way, if you're stepping outside of your standard of correctness, but you don't have one, then you don't know that you're outside of it. That's a little convoluted, but I think the message comes across. Another lovely thing that happens with self-awareness is, well, twofold. So one, you most likely become more comfortable setting boundaries, There's still a really big stigma around boundaries, which means if you set them, you are rude or short or aggressive. Even if you politely say, hey, I know that you're really into hunting, but it's not something that I can ingest well. And I was just wondering if maybe it could not be a subject that we discuss together. It is hard to hear. And This isn't a boundaries episode, and I'm sure there'll be one later, but it's a hard thing to say. Your voice will probably shake. It's weird. We're not used to it. The person on the other end is like, what's wrong with hunting? Why can't I talk about hunting? Right? What you're actually doing, though, when you do have the level of awareness and and want to set a boundary is you're trying to make the relationship work. You're trying to make sure that the relationship can remain hey, can we omit this thing that makes me uncomfortable so that our friendship, relationship, whatever it is, can continue. And so that's one thing that happens as you get able to step outside of yourself and realize, oh, this is my standard of correctness is I don't want to be in a conversation that discusses hunting in great detail. I'm just using that as an example. Obviously, insert the thing that makes you feel uncomfortable here. Another thing that happens is you may become comfortable with quitting things. I can't speak for other countries, but here in America, we have a love of longevity. Oh my gosh, you've been married for 900 years. How did you do it? Or hey, I've worked at the same job for 40 years. Like that's all great. But a lot of times we don't quit things that aren't good for us because we have not set a standard of correctness for ourselves. And we can't see that the thing that we're in is actually falling outside of that standard. So self-aware people tend to quit things more regularly because they have a clearer understanding of what they want and more importantly, what they don't want. They quit things over and over until they find something that aligns with their standards sometimes these standards change as different parts of them heal and they create new versions of themselves. And this is one of the more freeing parts of self-awareness because you do give yourself that freedom. Something that worked for you three years ago might not work for you next year. And that is okay because you will have the awareness to say, oh, I outgrew that friendship or, oh, I think I'm outgrowing this career. I'm going to try something else or I don't think this relationship is meeting my needs in the way that it did. Whatever it is, you'll have the ability to objectively step back, look at yourself and say, yeah, no, this isn't working. Let's quit this. Let's retry this. Let's start this over. Whatever that means to you. I seriously think that's one of my favorite things about self-awareness is it just gives you allowance and freedom it cuts down on the negative self-talk, it increases the positive self-talk. It's been a very consistent theme of my therapy for a long time. It's usually used in CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's it's really helpful. I think it's the reason that if you have self-esteem issues or self-worth issues when you get into therapy, the first thing that your counselor will try I can only speak for myself, but When I first got into therapy, one of the first things that we went over was, you're enough just like this, or you're worth having boundaries, you're worth asking for your needs to be met. And that's hard in the beginning, but it does tie to ultimately what the therapist wants you to get from their encouragement is let's set some standards for what you will and won't tolerate, right? And that's the beginning of everything that we've talked about today. I'll leave you with one more quick story. I don't know if it relates, but I just wanted to get it out. Um, So going back to my early 20s, I worked at a restaurant called Claim Jumper. Love a Claim Jumper. Always go back when I get home one of my first shifts by myself where I had like a really big section. On a busy Friday night, I had this table, uh, table of four. You can see them just as clear as day right now. They all ordered steaks. They all had drinks. That's a big deal if you're a server because the higher the tab, the more you make in theory. I'm going around and my station's going great. I'm looking at everybody and I noticed that they start to look at me a little bit. And if you are a server or have ever been a server, you know that if somebody starts trying to make eye contact with you, they need something. But I was busy. I was in the weeds, as we say. And I couldn't get to them immediately. And I kept thinking to myself, well, they're fine. They have all their drinks. They have all this. They have bread, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, the record comes screeching to a halt in my head when I realize, oh my God, I didn't order their food. I did not order their food. So this is the part where you have to go to your manager who's working the line where all the food comes out and plead and cry and beg your case. How fast can you get me for what I'm sure were medium well steaks, right? So anyway, I tell him this and he's super calm and he's like, yep, I'll do it for you. But you have to do something. You have to do something for me and that you have to go to that table and tell them that you made a mistake and you didn't order their food. And I'm like, Excuse me? It's like, Yeah, go over there. I'll go over there a few minutes after you and talk to them and make sure everything's okay. But I think it's important that you go and like own it. So I did. They were fine. Everything was fine. It's not a very climactic ending here. But that story stays with me because. It sort of set a standard, right? Where, hey, if you make a mistake, own it. And while I can't say that I used it in my personal life very much until much later, from that point on, I would not do what a lot of other servers would do, which is, oh, the bar's busy or, oh, the kitchen lost your ticket. I would just be honest with every table. And it was helpful. I think people appreciated hearing a human error from the human that made the error versus an excuse. So I always think about that story and think it was a really good example for me to have someone make me hold myself accountable for my own mistakes. That is going to be it for today's self-awareness TED Talk. I hope you guys liked it and I hope if you do have your own opinion or theory or idea of what self-awareness is, send it to me in an email. There are no wrong answers, at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram, free underscore failing. I'm also on threads by the same handle, which are you guys on threads? Because I can't get off that. I can't get out of there. Um... (laughs) Anyway, there are a lot of sources from this episode that will be in the show notes. And until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye.